See? Devin, if we could bring that down. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, buddy. How are we? Good. Looks like a lot of people are at uh, races this weekend, I guess. Um, what's that? Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming. I don't know. Uh, but we have the Word of God here today, and I am grateful. Uh, no matter if it would be a hundred of us or five of us, we're going to open the Word of God the same exact way, and we're going to uh, seek what He has to say to us today. Today we're kicking off a brand new series, and it's on the I Am Statements of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, go with me to the book of John today. I'm excited about this series because in this series, we're going to hear how Jesus reveals who he is and the hope and the joy that comes with believing and trusting that what Jesus says about himself is true. If you turn to your left, you'll see Adiel is over here and he's doing something. He's painting and he's painting on purpose. And over the course of our series, you'll see him painting from time to time. He's working on one painting, and at the end of our series, something is going to happen special with that uh, painting. And so each week, it'll get a little bit fuller, and things like that will be added to it. Um, but he is painting um, as an expression of worship to the Lord, and I think it's going to um, capture a little bit of, of what this series is about, and maybe it might help somebody to remember this series further. What I want to start by saying this morning is that life is all about Jesus, right? It's not about you. Life is not about you trying to be a better version of yourself. Life is not about you trying to live your best life now. Life all comes down to Jesus. It comes down to who Jesus is, what Jesus Christ has done for us, and what it means to follow Jesus today. That doesn't mean that the other things that we study in our groups are not important. It doesn't mean that, you know, if a sermon isn't, you know, from the, if it's from the Old Testament or something like that, that it's not important. Those things are important. But I'm saying that everything about being a Christian is rooted in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. You can't even talk about or learn anything really about Scripture and fully understand it unless you know who Jesus is. And so let's get to know Jesus this morning. Amen. And what better way to get to know Jesus than by listening to what Jesus says about who he is. Listening to what Jesus says about himself. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus claims to be something. And Jesus uses very familiar language. He uses very familiar objects, very familiar ideas to help people understand who he is and his identity. And what he does is he gives these simple metaphorical statements that are layered with historical and theological background. Now, before we get into the first of the I am statements this morning, I want to do a brief survey with you if I said, has the best bread. Would you just shout it out? If you like, is it Longhorn? Is it Outback? Is it Roadhouse? Is it, you know, Olive Garden? Okay, Roadhouse. What else we got? Can you scream them out? Olive Garden. Anybody else? Okay, we got some places with some, some good bread, right? Now, this morning, we're going to talk about the very first of the I Am statements of Jesus. If you have your Bible, go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus says, here's our key this morning. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, we're going to talk and we're going to walk a lot through John chapter 6 today. 
But the big key here this morning is Jesus says, I am the bread of life. What does Jesus mean by that statement, I am the bread of life? If you simply heard that statement out of the blue, some of you would be like, that sounds pretty good. Right? If you didn't know anything about the rest of Scripture, if you didn't have much theology training, if you didn't have anything like that, you'd still say, hey, that sounds pretty good. Jesus is the bread of life. You're like, I like bread. I like Jesus. That sounds good to me, right? Jesus is the bread of life. And and we wouldn't have any objections to that. That statement that Jesus gives is very powerful on the surface, but it's mind-blowing at its core. It's mind-blowing at its depth. As Jesus often did, Jesus would start with the physical in order to get people to think about the spiritual. He talked about to explain uh, uh, the importance of new spiritual birth. With the woman at the well in in John chapter 4, Jesus starts with water, but he ends up talking about worship, right? And here in John chapter 6, he moves from physical hunger to spiritual satisfaction. Now, before we get to our text this morning, I want to give you some background um, in Jewish history about bread, Okay, so this, when Jesus says this, he says this in a context that is completely different from from our context, right, From, from our culture, Right, bread in that day and age was the most important part of the meal. When you and I, when we go to a restaurant, we generally don't focus on the bread. Right, when you go to a restaurant, you're sitting there going, okay, because I want to order a, a main dish. Right, bread is secondary to your meal when you go to a restaurant today, unless you, maybe you're going to like Roadhouse or Olive Garden, like some of the things that you guys said, right? But in Jesus' day, meat was kind of like a side dish. Meat was something that went in addition to the meal. And bread represented one of the major components of the meal. And so when Jesus says that he is the bread of life, Jesus is saying, I am the most important part of life. That is wrapped up in what Jesus is saying here. You know, poorer people in that day and age would use barley to make bread, but wealthy people would also use wheat to make bread. But almost everybody wanted that culture. And so by using this metaphor, Jesus was saying that he is available to everyone, right? That no matter if you use barley or if you use wheat to have bread, I'm available to everybody, right? Check this out also. In that culture, when you broke bread with somebody, you were also now considered what? Friends. If you sat down and shared a meal with somebody, you were considered to be friends. And so Jesus offers a friendship to you and I that will never end. All these things are wrapped up when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6 is all about bread. All about bread. Some of you are like, that's my MO. I'm all about bread too. Right? Listen. But 21 times in this chapter, the word bread appears. And that's three times more than in any other chapter in the entire New Testament. And so what you realize when you're reading through this chapter is that Jesus has a master plan involving bread. And he's putting that master plan into place. And so Jesus uses this very familiar image of bread to tap into something that's actually really deep. The chapter begins with a story that you might be familiar with in John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Now, we know that it's actually more than 5,000 people because in that day and age, they didn't count uh, women. They didn't count kids. Some scholars say it's probably anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people that Jesus actually feeds here. Uh, and he feeds them with five loaves, turns this Lunchable into a full, delicious meal for thousands of people. I want you to read with me how the story starts in John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? 
And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in his mind what he was going to do. Jesus has a plan. Amen? Jesus knows what he's doing all along. Even in this context in John chapter 6, Jesus already knows what he's doing. And the first step is going to be this miraculous feeding. And that miraculous feeding is going to work to generate this interest into who Jesus is. People are going to go, okay, who is Jesus? Who can feed 20,000 people? Who can do that? We don't have the time, really the time to study this story in detail. But I do want to point out a few things to you this morning. Jesus knew that these people were hungry. Amen? Like he knew they were hungry, and so he took care of their physical need. Don't miss that. Jesus took care of their physical need. Jesus is concerned about every area of your life. Jesus is concerned about your spiritual heart. He is concerned about you spiritually. But Jesus is also concerned about you physically, your physical needs. He cares about your physical needs. And so he specifically asked uh, Philip a question about where they can go and buy enough bread because he asked Andrew offers up this boy's lunch what I want you to see here this morning is that when we give Jesus what we have, no matter how little it might be, he's going to multiply it to something greater. He'll always do that. See, even the little bit, whatever you have, even, I don't care what it is, even the little bit that you have, if you offer it to God, God can do something great with it. He will do something great with it. Some of you might say, I don't have any, anything. All I have is this little thing. Jesus says, that's enough because I can multiply it. See, there was only five loaves of bread, two fish, and what, what does Jesus say? I'll take that. I could feed thousands of people with that. Some of you might say, I only have a little bit of faith. Jesus says, that's enough. Just give me the size of a mustard seed. I got you. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to make something great out of it. I'm going to accomplish something great through that. Amen? It's interesting that in verse 11, it says that the people ate as much as they wanted. Right? Verse 12 says that there were even leftovers. How many of you like leftovers? Anybody? Leftovers. What I want you to see is that God is not stingy with his blessings. God's not stingy with his favor, with his mercy, with his grace, with his love. And your life can overflow with the same things if you will seek first the kingdom of God. It's really important to note that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. And this is a really crucial lesson for the 12 disciples. Why? So that they would never doubt the power of Jesus. It's almost like there was a basket of leftovers just for each. There's another reason why there was 12 baskets of leftovers of bread because if you go back to the Old Testament and you read Leviticus chapter 24, you can go home and do that later on. We won't go there today, but the priest would put 12 loaves of, of fresh bread in the temple every Sabbath. And what that bread was supposed to represent was that God was present with them. It was supposed to represent the presence of God. And I wonder if any of those Jewish people who were there in that day, if they made the correlation to the bread of presence, to Jesus being, right, God being present through Jesus in that moment. I don't know. Verse 14 tells us that the people viewed this as a miracle and that they wondered if Jesus was the promised prophet. And so during that time, there was this belief amongst the Jews that the Messiah was going to provide bread from heaven just like Moses had done, right, with, in, in, in the book of Exodus, Okay, And so when they saw the, the loaves of bread multiplying in front of their eyes, a lot of them wanted to make Jesus the king on the spot. Because their thought was, well, if, if Jesus can, can feed us, and I don't have to feed myself, Jesus can always feed me, certainly he can deliver us from the Romans too. So why not make Jesus the king? Jesus has other plans though, doesn't he? Verse 15 says that Jesus, 
he withdraws to a mountain to be by himself. And later that night, he meets up with his disciples. And there's a reason I'm, I'm talking about the feeding of the, the 20,000 here. There's a reason I'm talking about that, setting this up for what Jesus is about to say. Because it's a foreshadowing of the theme of bread. When Jesus and his disciples, when they arrive at the village of Capernaum, the crowd finds Jesus. Again, and, and this is what happens next between Jesus and the crowd. Skip down to 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Verily, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed. Right? He's talking about what? I fed all of you, thousands of people. But because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what, what, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe it? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this. Right? They ask him, you know, when did you get to the village? And Jesus kind of challenges them. And he accuses them of seeking him, not because that they know that he's God. He accuses them of seeking him because they want more materialistic things. Materialistic motivations. Their stomachs are full. Their hearts are empty. And so his encouragement is to take this next step. And he says to, tells him to worry about what he calls the food that will endure, endure for eternal life. And so I want to ask this question to you this morning. Why are you here today? Like, why are you here in this place this morning? In August 2018, Pew Research published a survey that they did on why people attended church. And the results went just like you can imagine. Okay. Some people said to become closer to God. Some people said so that their children could have a moral foundation. Some said, I go to church to make me a better person. Some said for comfort in times of trouble or sorrow. Some people said I find the sermons valuable. Some said to be part of a community of faith, to continue our family's religious traditions. I feel a religious obligation to go, to, new, to meet new people or to socialize, to please my family, my spouse, or my partner. I would encourage you that whatever reason you are here today, it's a great place to start. It doesn't matter to start people in a walk with him or to take people to a deeper level with him. A lot of different motivations. Sometimes it might be food, right? If we have a potluck or something like that, someone might come and God might say, I, you came here for food, but you're going to get the real food, right? It could be a cute girl or a cute guy, great music, nice people. It could just be you wanted to make the old ball and chain happy this morning, whatever it might be. It's not important what brought you here this morning. What's important is where are you going to go from here today? Where are you going to go? See, like many of us, the people thought that they needed to do some kind of work in order to earn God's favor. And I love the answer that Jesus gives back to them in verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in the one that he has sent. And so these hungry people had the nerve to ask for another sign of God instead of believing when Jesus had already given them a sign. They had the nerve to ask for another sign. 
And some of you might say, those, those Israelites, those, those Hebrews, always doing the same thing. You and I do the same thing. That's us. That is you and I, right? We continuously ask for God to do something, and we're not satisfied with what he's already done, right? Some of you are like, no, not me. Really? Right? Because here's what happens, right? God meets your need yesterday, and instead of thanking him for, for, that's good, you did that yesterday, I've already forgotten about it, now do something else. We're not happy with what God has already done. In verse 31, the crowd lays this challenge out for Jesus, essentially asking Jesus, Prove yourself. It's really what they were saying to him. Prove yourself. In their minds, Moses had provided bread for over 3 million people for 40 years. Jesus, you did this one time, dude. You did this one time. Moses did it for, for, for 40 years, for 3 million people. Bread rained from heaven. Jesus, you used earthly bread to multiply it. See, their trouble was that they had these, this growling stomach, Right? But their growling stomach is louder to them than their starving soul. Like their soul is starving, but they, they can't hear it because their physical dominates the spiritual in their life. A little more background is going to help here. The crowd was referencing back to the manna that uh, when, when, when Moses was leading the entire nation of Israel through the desert, after they escaped, God fed his people through this thing called manna, this kind of bread from heaven. And so they had no food. The Israelites had no food. And so Moses prayed to God, and God provided manna for them to eat. Bread literally fell out of heaven for people to eat. And so this is the miracle that these people are referencing back to when they're talking to Jesus. And so manna was stuck in their heads. But manna also had a hold on their, their hope for the future. See, over time, this idea came up that there's this storehouse of manna in heaven somewhere. That God has got this storehouse of heaven and God can open it up anytime he wants on his people, but God for some reason for hundreds of years has now kept this storehouse of manna closed. And this is what they kind of thought. Now, that might seem like a strange belief, right? But if we think about it for a moment, it may not be different from what we assume about God today for us. Some of you may say, I don't, I don't get it. See, I think a lot of us have this belief that God stands guard over some kind of storehouse of blessings in heaven. And that if God could just, God, if you could just kind of get out of the way or just kind of unlock that door and just kind of let those things flow, we know that good things will flow from heaven for us if you could just kind of let it go. Just, just let it happen for us. And so we start to think, well, maybe God will let this blessing right flow to me or God will show me more favor or God will give me more things under the right circumstances if I do more of the right thing. If I give enough money, if I help enough people, if I say the right thing, if I come to church enough, God will give me these blessings from heaven if I do all these things. What I want you to see is that kind of explains, right? That kind of bread sounds great. We want that kind of bread. Can you unlock that kind of bread for us? Can you, like, make that bread flow again from heaven, right, down to earth, just like it did for our ancestors in the desert? Are you the key to that? Can you do that, Jesus? Here's the pinnacle of all this interaction, and here's the whole, like, point of our sermon today in John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus what? What's that word? Declared, Right? He doesn't just whisper it. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go what? Hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be? Man, that's a phenomenal statement. Right? First, by equating himself with bread, Jesus is saying, I'm essential for life. You need me to live. I am essential for life. And the second thing here, I'm going to give you a handful of things that you may want to write down. But the second thing here is the life that Jesus is referring to here, he ain't talking about physical life. Jesus is talking about the spiritual. He's talking about spiritual life. Jesus is trying to get the Jews, their thinking, off of the physical and onto the spiritual like we already talked about. He's contrasting what, what, with what he brings as their Messiah with the bread that he had just created miraculously the day before, Right? He's saying, the physical bread, I, I mean, how many of you have had to throw away bread this week because it got moldy or stale? Yeah, see, look, already a handful of you. You had to get rid of it because it can't last that long. It perishes. It goes stale. It goes bad. And Jesus is saying, that kind of bread is not what you need because it goes bad. But I'm the spiritual bread, and I bring eternal life. I last for eternity. See, third and very important, Jesus is making another claim, and he's making a claim to be God. He's making a claim to deity here. This is the first statement of the seven I am statements in John's gospel. And the phrase I am was the covenant name of God in the Old Testament to the Jewish people. Yahweh. Right? Yahweh was, was a term uh, that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Who should I say sent me? Tell him who. I am. Wait, what? What does that even mean? I am. Right? Have you guys heard this new thing when, like, especially young people, they say, oh, he is him. He's him. Right? He, he's him. And what does that mean? What does it mean, John? He's him. Right? That, that dude is just, he's awesome. He's good. He's him. And it's, a, I kind of draw it back here when, when, when Moses says, who should I say sent me to Pharaoh? Like, who am I going to say sent me to you to go let my people go? Jesus says, tell him I am sent you. He's him sent you. Right? That phrase, God, you are not self-sufficient. Do you understand that? There is no other being in this entire world that is self-sufficient. You have needs, don't you? Yeah, you do. You need clothes to live. You need water, food, a house. Look at all the things you need to live. God needs nothing. He doesn't need, even need you. But he loves you and he wants you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need this place. He doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient. He is, I am. He needs nothing. And so when, when Jesus says this, when he uses this phrase right here, the, the Jewish people would have automatically understood, they would have automatically gotten it, that Jesus was saying he was God. They would have gotten that. Fourth, I want you to also notice these couple words here in verse 35. Come and believe. Right, that was an invitation for people who were listening to him to, to do what? To come to him and to believe in him, to place their faith in him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And this invitation is found all throughout John's gospel. Right? Coming to Jesus involves you making a choice to give up the things of this world and saying, I'm going to place all my trust, all my hope, all my faith in Jesus alone. I'm giving up the things of this world all my faith goes in Jesus. That's this invitation to believing in Jesus means you believe that Jesus will do what he says that he will do, and you believe that Jesus is the only one who can do it. This is what it means to come and believe. Another 
couple of words that Jesus uses here that I want you to underline is these words hunger and thirst. Again, Jesus is not talking about eliminating your physical hunger. He's not saying, hey, come to me and just never worry about you know, food ever again. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about physical food. He's not talking about physical thirst. The key to unlocking this, to helping us better understand this, is found in another statement that Jesus made back in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness, because they're going to be what? Satisfied. Right? When Jesus says those who come to him will never hunger and will never thirst, who believe in him, right? Those who believe in him will never hunger and never thirst. He's saying that our hunger and our thirst to be made right in the sight of God. That's what he's talking about. He's saying you, from the moment you are born, have this desire in your life to be made right in the eyes of God. From the moment you're born, you have this. That you want to be made right in the eyes of God. And only Jesus can satisfy that. Listen, if there's anything that human history tells us, it's that people want to earn their way to heaven. All these things are all about what? Earning your way to God. Do this and you'll get to God. Do this and you can know God. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Why does man want to do so much stuff? Because man doesn't want to have to place their, their faith in God. Man says, I want to place my faith in myself. Man says, I want to place myself in what I can see. I don't want to place my faith in a God I can't see. Even though we know, intrinsically, we know the spiritual realm exists. We know eternity exists. There's a basic human desire that God created us with, and that is eternity. God created you with this desire for eternity in mind. In fact, Scripture tells us that. The Bible says that God has placed this desire for eternity in your heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You can look it up. The Bible also tells us that there's nothing that we can do to earn our way to heaven. Why? Because we've all sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Right? And the only thing our sin earns us is death. Romans 6, 23. There is no one who is righteous in his own right. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Our problem that we have is that we have a desire. Check this out. Lean in. You and I have a desire that we on our own can't fulfill. You have this desire you can't fulfill. You have a desire for eternity you can't fulfill. You have a God-sized hole. Jesus comes in. This is where Jesus comes in. Jesus and Jesus alone can fill that desire for you and that desire for righteousness in your life. See, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul said, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might what? We might become the righteousness of God. See, when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus took the sins of the world on himself and he paid for them in full. And so when you and I, when we place our faith in Jesus, our sins are imputed onto Jesus on the cross. But don't miss this. Jesus' righteousness is now imputed onto you. It's all imputed back onto you. This is where we're satisfied in life. This is where you can find true satisfaction in life, to be standing right in front of God. It's not based on what you do. It's all about what Jesus has done. Jesus is able to fulfill this need in your life. Why? Because he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. One of my favorite hymns, one of my absolute favorite hymns is this hymn, Just As I Am. Have you ever heard it before? 
And this hymn was written by a woman named Charlotte Elliott. And as a young person in England, uh, Elliot was known as being carefree and full of life. And she was popular as disease. And it made her have to be cared for by other people for the rest of her life. And so after getting this disease, and especially you can imagine, if you're someone who had been carefree and just enjoyed life all the way up until this point, and you now get this disease, what happened to her? She became depressed. She became dejected. And so she's depressed, she's dejected, until one day this, this Swiss evangelist named Caesar Milan came to visit her. And he realizes that this woman is dejected, that she's depressed. And here's what he tells her. He says, Charlotte, you must come just as you are a sinner to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Charlotte that day placed her faith in Jesus. And Charlotte, after that, experienced true joy, true peace in her life in spite of her circumstances that carried her all the way until she was 82 years old. See, her disease didn't leave just because she became a Christian. Her pain didn't leave because, because she became a Christian. But what now entered into that pain was peace and joy in the name of Jesus, the bread of life. Charlotte Elliott wrote about 150 hymns throughout her lifetimes. And today, if you talk to anybody who kind of studies hymns and knows hymns, Charlotte Elliott is known as one of the greatest hymn writers of all time. I want to read to you, if I may, but check this out. Here's the, the hymn, Just As I Am, says this. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And how was she coming to God? just as she was. And that is the invitation on you, isn't it? The invitation on you today and what God had brought you here today is say, what? Come just as you are to me. Don't fall for the baloney that, hey, I got to go get myself cleaned up and then I can come to God. No, 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 God says, no, you come to me, I clean you. You can't clean you. You going and cleaning you is like a pig going back and laying in the mud and rolling around in the mud and then coming back and saying, I'm clean now. Now you still dirty and maybe you might even be dirtier than you were before. Jesus says, I clean. I will clean you. You come to me. Listen, at this moment, right, in verse 35, Jesus does what he always does best. best. He reaches back into the culture, into the history of the, uh, of the bread of the Jewish people, and he reaches back deep into the human experience of food and of, of life and of daily meals. And what he's doing is he's making them focus. All of human history points to Jesus. All of human history points to Jesus. From the very beginning, it all points to Jesus. Every good thing in this world points to Jesus. Every good thing that will ever happen in this universe, every good thing that will ever happen in eternity, it all points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Again, it's not about you, it's not about me. And so I only have a couple of points this morning. Some of you are like, you haven't hit a point yet? <sighs> bear with me. I love you, but bear with me, Okay. Each of these points will be brief, I promise. Number one, write this down. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Here's how I would define Jesus. I would say, tell you this, Jesus is everything. 
Jesus is everything. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God. Hear that loud and clear. At New Beginnings, we proclaim with no shame and with boldness in all situations of life, Jesus is God. We make no apologies for that. He is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our hope. Jesus quells our fears. Jesus is the one who holds our world together. Jesus is the one who keeps our world moving forward. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Jesus, as we have seen this morning, he is also the bread of, the bread of life. Jesus saying that he is the bread of life is a lot more than what the people who were around him and who were listening to him were expecting him to say. They weren't expecting him to say something like that. They wanted a new prophet who would come and would save them from the occupation of the Romans. That's what they wanted. That's all they cared about. You have to hear it. You have to see it. They were occupied by the Romans at this time. They didn't really care that Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. That's great. Save us from the Romans. That's great. Give us our country back. Give us our freedom back. Get these people, these Gentiles, out of our country. That's what they wanted. Jesus' offer doesn't excite them. Sad, it doesn't excite them. When Jesus spoke these words in the first century, it turned off a lot of people, honestly. In fact, you'll see that here in just a second. We read later in the chapter, chapter that a lot of people walk away from Jesus after he metaphorically says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He doesn't really tell them they're going to have to do that, right? He's talking in a metaphor, and people were like, what? I'm out of here. This is too much for me. I want nothing to do with this. They were, not, they, they were not excited by what Jesus was doing. Even though Jesus had just fed 20,000 people, they're not looking for the Messiah. They're not looking for this. They're looking for someone who can just get me out of my pain. I'm not looking for really God. And friends, that's still true today, isn't it? That is still true today. People can accept a Jesus who's a great teacher. Right? You talk to somebody to, who, who practices another faith, another religion, and they can deal with a Jesus who's a really great teacher. Yeah, that's great. Jesus is a great teacher. He was good. Right? Uh, they can talk about Jesus who was a religious leader. They can even accept that Jesus is one of the paths to God. But to say Jesus is the foundation of life? No. To say that Jesus is the only way to God? No. To say that Jesus alone is the truth? No. They reject that. That's too much for them. It's too much for them, right? Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger that I have in my life? No. Let me try something else. Let me try more money. Because that hasn't worked, but let me try it again. Maybe if I get even more, it'll help this time. Let, let, me, let me try another relationship. You know, that's what I need. I just need more relationships. You know, all the other relationships, they just fail. But if I could just find that one relationship, then I will be satisfied in life. Let me try that again. Listen, we're going to continue to see these radical claims by Jesus over the next several weeks. And these are claims, lean in, you can't ignore these claims. You can reject these claims. You cannot believe in these claims. But after you hear these claims, you can't stay neutral. See, you can walk away just like a lot of people did in that first century when Jesus would, would teach and preach. They would say, but you can't stay neutral. You can't stay neutral to what Jesus is claiming to be. Either you will believe Jesus or you're going to reject him. Lastly, this morning is this. Number two, how should we respond to Jesus' claims? 
How should we respond to Jesus' claims, right? If this is true and Jesus really is the bread of life, well, then how should I respond to what Jesus is saying? Like, what do I do when someone says that Jesus is the bread of life? What do you do when someone says, I'm the bread of life to you? What in the world do you do? Like, how are you supposed to respond to that? When you go to a restaurant, when do they bring you the bread? Right after the dessert, right? Right after you're super full, right? Right after you've, like, eaten so much food, food you're just like, ugh, I can't even walk, right? It's like you feel like you're on Thanksgiving Day. That's when they bring you the bread, right? No. It's not when they bring you the bread. Listen, if you were to stop eating for, a one, for one week, can you imagine just for one week you have no food? You have water but no food. You're hungry, right? Anybody else would be hungry? Yeah, you'd be really, really hungry. Now imagine I came to you after it had been a week and I bring you this hot loaf of bread that just came out of the oven with a side of butter, right? And it comes from, from this restaurant, right? It's just, it's, oh, it smells so good. It's so fresh. It's warm. It's fresh right out, right out of the oven. Immediately, oh, right? You would immediately start wanting that bread. You would want that bread so much. Everything around you in that moment will become incredibly less important to you. Why? Because your need is about to get met, you're starving and you're going, here's bread. And it's fresh. It's good. It's going to be delicious. I'm never going to have tasted any better bread than that bread that I'm about to have right now. It's exactly how all of you would be. You know it. You know it. But if I brought you that bread immediately after you had a large meal, after you had just finished like a, uh, a thunder from down under from Outback dessert or something like that, and you're stuffed to the brim and I brought you this bread, your body would have a different reaction. Your body would say, oh, I think I'm going to be sick. You're, you're trying to give me more bread after I'm so full, after I've eaten all this other stuff. I don't, I don't want any bread. I'm full of something else. Listen, the question for us this morning is this, is are you hungry? Are you hungry? Because if you're not hungry, then the bread of life is going to have no appeal to you whatsoever. And some of you are not hungry because you're constantly filling up on other garbage. You fill up on the things of this world and you're like, where's my hunger for God? Stop filling up on the things of this world. Because the things of this world, it's kind of a trick question that I ask you if you're, if you're hungry. Because you are hungry, even if you don't realize it, that you're hungry. You are spiritually hungry, right? Maybe the best question this morning is this, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? As you think about hunger, I'm going to invite you to consider whether God maybe has given you a similar sign that he was giving to the Jews who were listening to him that day. Now, it may not be as big as it was like when Jesus fed 20,000 people. That was a really big sign, right? And some of these bozos still missed it, right? They just did. They, they missed this sign that was right in front of their face. But maybe God has been giving you signs this week, and it could be small. Maybe it was a new sense of direction in your life. God is saying, hey, I got this new sense of direction for you. Maybe it was something that it came together just when it needed to come together. God stepped in and it came together. God is giving you a sign. Maybe it was a, a comment from a friend that just, just kind of made everything click into place. Maybe it could be something actually bigger than that. Maybe it could be that, you know, um, uh, that, that you know, someone you loved uh, was healed from something. Or maybe it was something that you were praying for. You were praying, 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 praying. And, and that prayer was answered in the way that you prayed for. Maybe it was a miracle just when you needed it. 
that God has been giving you a sign. Maybe think back to over the last several weeks of your life. Has God been trying to get your attention? Today, I believe that God, this is why you're here, is God is trying to get your attention in your life. Period. He wants to have your focus in life. Now, I would also say, it's okay if nothing comes to mind too. It's okay if nothing comes to mind. Take this as an encouragement to keep your eyes open for what God may be wanting to do in your life. God is trying to get your attention. And so what's next for you with Jesus? The great thing about bread is that you never stop needing it. You never stop needing bread. Maybe you're here today, you're just exploring Christianity. Maybe you're here today and you're a new Christian. Maybe you're here today and, and, and your faith just feels stagnant when you walked in here this morning. Maybe you've believed for a long time, but you're sensing a new season of growth coming. Whatever it is for you, no matter where you are, here's what you will always need. You will always need the bread of life. You're always going to need the bread of life. One of my, my boys and I, our, our favorite shows that we um, have watched on, on YouTube, these old shows, is of a show called Fear Factor. Has anybody ever seen the show Fear Factor, those old days show Fear Factor? All right? Um, and one of the segments on the show Fear Factor is where people had to eat gnarly foods. I mean, gnarly. Uh, and so I want to give you some of the most disgusting things that we have seen people eat on this show. I got some pictures. No, I don't have pictures. I don't have pictures. But if you have a sensitive stomach, I'm going to tell you, just cover your ears. If you don't want to hear it, I'm going to say these things. Listen very carefully. Blended rats, sheep's brain pie, silkworm cereal. Some of the things are so gross, I can't even say them here without getting, you know, kicked out by the deacons. Just disgusting, absolutely disgusting things. But as I think about that show and what people would be willing to eat, it's a phenomenal picture to me. It's a great picture of all the other things in life that we think are going to satisfy us. Oh, this is going to satisfy me. Right? It's going to satisfy this hunger I have. And so let me get more money. Let me have more relationships. Let me choose power. Let me choose status in life. Let me try to do everything like the world is doing. Let me choose substance abuse. Because some of these things, I think they're going to satisfy me if I just have a little bit more of it. If I could get a little bit more of that. But listen, you taking and trying to eat the things of this world to satisfy the spiritual hunger that you have in your life is like drinking blended rats in 100-year-old eggnog. Like, that's what you're doing spiritually, right? Do you remember what happened to the manna when the Israelites tried to hoard it? What happened to it? When they became selfish and they became untrusting and they started hoarding the bread, the manna, what happened to it? Well, Exodus chapter 16, verse 20 tells us, it says, it was full of maggots and began to smell. Some of you are shoving that look good on the outside, but what I want you to see is the things of this world are moving with maggots. They're filthy, they're moldy, they're disgusting. So the question I go back to asking you is, have you found your satisfaction in Jesus? Have you found your satisfaction in Jesus? Is Jesus your bread of life? Are you living on Jesus? Not living for the things of this world, are you living for Jesus? Augustine, who we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, he once said, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest, where? In Jesus. I'll end with this. Field Marshal William Slynn uh, was, was leading the British forces during the Burma campaign of World War II. And he was concerned about the men who were under his command. 
And so he learned one day that one of his soldiers was completely just depressed. He had gotten some really bad news from home. And so this soldier was really depressed, but, but you know, uh, Slim, he really, compa- you know, really was compassionate for these people. And so this senior commander, he asked his, his chaplain, his head chaplain, to come to him and that, hey, he said, this is what he told him. He said, I want you to go send one of your chaplains to go talk to my soldier. He's depressed. And so shortly afterwards, Field Marshal Slim sent for the senior chaplain. He had him come back. And so he was really upset. He was not happy. He was kind of angry. Kind of his tone was, was a little rough. And he said, one of your chaplains went to see my soldier. He was very nice to him. He drank a cup of tea with him. And they sat together and talked. But your chaplain never showed my soldier what he really needed to see. And the chaplain's like, dude, what? Like, he's been trained? He, what in the world could he have not shown that he needed to show? And Field Marshal Slim answered him. He said, the man on the cross. He didn't show him the man on the cross. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Friend, if you're here today and you're needy, it's important to remember this. The answer to your loneliness is Jesus. The answer to your depression is is Jesus. The answer to the heartache that you're going through and your suffering that you're going through in your life is Jesus. It's true that when we're trying to witness to somebody and trying to uh, come alongside somebody that we got to be sociable, that we have to be pleasant, but we also, listen, we can't back down from showing them the man on the cross. You got to point people to Jesus, right? You got to point them to the sin-bearing Savior, right, in whom you will find grace, in whom you will find the way. Jesus is the only answer to your basic need. Whatever you're here going through today, Jesus is your answer. Whatever is is bothering you, whatever is causing you pain and heartache and suffering, Jesus is your answer. There is no other answer. You don't need to go to Barnes & Noble. You don't need to go to the the self-help section on Amazon. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need Jesus. Jesus is all you need because Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything you need. There is a longing in your heart that only Jesus can satisfy. And only Christ, the living bread, can satisfy your spiritual hunger. I want to remember something as we leave here today. Next week we'll, we'll do communion and we'll kind of look at this. But today I want us to remember the miracle of, of manna falling from heaven. Remember that this week. Remember the miracle of manna. Remember the miracle of Jesus feeding 20,000 people with a few loaves of bread and two fish. But most importantly this week, my prayer is that you would remember the Messiah. My prayer is that you would remember the bread of life. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and God, I'm grateful for. We're going to look at each of them, and each of them is where you uh, compared yourselves to something physically that helped us to think about something spiritually, a greater truth spiritually. Jesus, there's people in this room who were just, I don't even know what everybody's going through. There's people who have come in here today with big smiles on their face, and they have huge frowns in their heart. They're sad. They're dejected. They're depressed. There's anxious. There's anger. There's a lot of things happening. And Jesus, you are the answer. 
There are people who have come in here today, and Lord, they've been shoveling the garbage of, of the world down their throats for such a long time. They have filled up on those things for such a long time. Jesus, help them to see here in this moment that you are the bread of life. You're the only one who can truly fill their hearts. You're the one who can satisfy their, their hunger for eternity. Lord, we can't see these things. We can't see spiritual truths apart from your Holy Spirit enlightening us. And so, Spirit, we pray, Holy Spirit, we pray for a movement this morning in the lives and the minds and the hearts of the people in this room. That, Lord, that you would destroy and disarm uh, lies and falsehoods that are in this room here today. People are believing for themselves. People are believing the things of this world. Help people to grow in you. Help people to see you, the bread of life, and place their trust in you. Jesus, I pray that you would just encourage us in a mighty way. Show us that you are the bread of life, that we can trust you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.